What's up, guys? How we doing tonight? Come on, how we doing tonight? Phenomenal. Hey, guys, my name is JD. We're going to be the book of Daniel chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me tonight. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to be going from verse 1 all the way to verse 3. Uh, and as you flip there, I'm going to introduce myself a little bit so you have an idea of who's going to be speaking with you over the next couple days. And so, again, my name is JD. My name is actually not JD. My name is Joseph. Uh, but all of my friends, including my wife, uh, they call me JD. And so guess what? You're my friends. You can call me JD. So if you see me running around campus at some point over the course of the next five days, please feel free to stop me and say hi. Uh, there's nothing that brings me more joy uh, and will not bring me more joy over the course of this week than being able to get to know who you are and maybe hearing a little bit of your story. Uh, but so that way you have an idea of who I am. Uh, I want to share eight things with you uh, as an introduction, not to take up too much time, but I'm going to share four things that I hate and four things that I love. Four things that I hate and four things that I love. The first thing that I hate, maybe some of you will agree with me in this, I cannot stand the ocean. I hate the ocean. I hate open bodies of water. There's just something about like, hear me, I'm the type of person that I still won't go swimming at night because I think there's something underneath my feet. I don't like open bodies of water. Anybody there with me? You're just not an ocean person. Thank you. I've seen one too many YouTube videos recently of people that have been like swallowed whole by whales. And I'm like, nope, doesn't seem biblical to me. I'm moving on. I don't like the ocean. Second thing that I do not like, I do not like, oh gosh, movies where the dog ends up passing away. You know what I mean? Come on, somebody. Talk to me out there. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Um, and so do we have any like, do we have any people in the room that would say like, hey, you're, you're set on making movies or TV shows at some point in your life? Like that's what your calling is. Somebody, if it's you, uh, please do the world a service and do not make that movie. The third thing that I hate, and I'm going to lose about, I feel like a good portion of the crowd in this. I hate the Dallas Cowboy football team. Come on, somebody. He's real. He's good. Amen. If you can hear my voice, clap once. If you can hear my voice, clap twice. I can't stand the Cowboys. I love the Patriots. Talk to me about it later. And the fourth thing, thank you, thank you. The fourth thing that I hate, and again, I feel like I'm going to lose even more of you in this. I cannot stand Minecraft. I can't, I can't do it. I'm not a Minecraft guy. I can't do it. Can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? A couple years ago, my buddy was like, hey, I wanna get you involved with Minecraft, it's, fan it's phenomenal. Uh, this is how you play the game. You, you, you stand there, you look down and you dig and you keep going until you can't anymore. And I said, okay, that's fantastic. I tried it and then at the very end, guess what happened? I fell into a bottomless pit of nothingness and I've never picked up the game again. I hate Minecraft. If you can hear my voice clap once. Four things that I hate, four things that I love. I love uh, with my whole heart. I think we have a picture. I love my, uh, my wife. This is my wife. Uh, her name is Brianna, and she is 
the love of my life. We've been married now for four years. Uh, four years in one uh, month from today. Uh, she's not here with me this week, uh, but she is literally the most brilliant human being that I've ever met, and I am not kidding when I say that. Uh, and so it surprises me that she would even consider to be with me. But this is my wife. Uh, let's keep the picture on there for a second. But these are my two golden retriever dogs. And so this is the second thing that I love. I love my two puppies. We got married, and then four days later, we thought it would be a good idea to, uh, to, to get two golden retriever puppies. And so do we have any, any, anybody in the house have a golden retriever? Okay, you know that they're a handful, but they are worth it, man. Uh, this is a more recent picture of my family. We've grown up a little bit, and so they've gotten a little bit bigger. This is Enzo. Enzo likes to sit on the couch, and my wife doesn't like it. Boston is over here in the corner, and I named him after all of my favorite Boston sports. So the Celtics, the Patriots, and the Red Sox. Come on, somebody. So I love my... I love my dogs. Third thing that I love, I love God. I love God with my whole heart. Come on, somebody. I do. Thank you. Um, can I tell you why? I love God. Um, I don't always make him happy. I don't always make him proud. I don't always uh, make him smile. Uh, but I am confident that he loves me first, and so I can love him in response to that love. Uh, I believe that I would not be the person that I am standing here today in front of you if it was not for the Lord that saved me. And so I love God, and I've dedicated my life to the thing that I love fourthly. I love his word. I love the Bible. Uh, I believe that this book, uh, maybe some of you are holding this book in front of you, I believe that this contains the answer to all of the issues and problems that the world uh, has. Uh, I believe that this is God. Uh, love letter to, uh, to us and offers us an opportunity uh, to have a relationship with him through the words that are on this page. And so I've dedicated my life to teaching this book to people like you to help you understand how easy and simple uh, the, the messages are in this book to help you, again, have that relationship with God. And so the word says of itself, the Bible says that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is able to cut into the deepest parts of your life, to change you in the most profound and amazing ways, uh, in, in, in ways that you couldn't possibly change yourself regardless of how hard you try. And so I love the word of God. I love teaching it, and that's what we're going to be doing over the course of the next couple days together. With that in mind, uh, I have been a Christian now and kind of uh, echoing what has already been said from the stage tonight, I've been a Christian now for over 10 years. Uh, and one of the things that I have noticed uh, take place around the world in our space, in, all, in our country, in our communities, in our city, uh, is that uh, the Bible, or, or rather than the Bible, but the world is becoming more increasingly hostile towards Christianity. They're, they're, they're pushing back against Christianity. And the Bible, what I just mentioned, is being seen or taken as a book that is communicating hate. This is what's being spoken of the Bible and not love. I've seen obedience to God be mocked and laughed at as if it was just too extreme. And for those of us that say that we love God, man, we should just be quiet and not cause trouble. I've noticed that there has been an increase in hostility against Christians in the time that I've been a Christian myself. And so in the face of ever promised, of promised ever increasing hostility, here's the question and the big theme that we're going to be answering. How is it that we can live with resilience as followers of God? Knowing that this is going to be the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in in your schools, maybe in your families, within your churches, maybe at your job someday. How is it that we can live with resilience as followers of God? What is resilience? Resilience is to stand firm 
and unmoved when faced with pressure. If you're taking notes, I suggest or encourage you to take a note in that. What is resilience? It is to stand firm and unmoved in the face of pressure. Anybody in here ever see the Avengers movie like you're a Marvel fan? I'm definitely a Marvel fan. One of my favorite movie moments of all time, literally bawled my eyes out multiple times as I continue to watch this movie over and over again, is the very end of Endgame where you see Thanos, the, the, the enormous enemy, and he's got all of his army behind him, and he is about to destroy who? Captain America, and Captain America is standing there by himself before his army appears, and Thanos is standing before him with power, thinking that he is able to destroy Captain America, and Captain America stands there unmoved. He was resilient. So we're going to spend this week in the book of Daniel, and we'll read about people who set an example of how one, how you can be resilient as a follower of God, and they're going to show us this example in the face of the consequence of death. This is Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Let's read it together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, which is just another name for Babylon, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, or just a royal official that served under King Nebuchadnezzar, to bring some of the people of Israel. And so again, we're going to answer this question tonight. We'll stop there. How do we live with resilience as followers of God? And this is going to kind of be the first layer that we uh, cover over the course of this week. Here's my suggestion. How do we do this? By remembering that the Christian's, heaven, or sorry, the Christian's home is in heaven. By remembering that the Christian's home is in heaven. Let's pray one more time before we jump into this text. Lord, we love you. God, thank you that you have given us this space tonight to consider your word. I pray that you would help us to worship you uh, with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And so help us to do that, God. Would you give us the focus that we need? Would you give us the energy that we need to be attentive to what your word has to say? This is not just some cute, uh, some stories that I can tell up here, but your, your word is living, God, and you want to speak to us in a powerful way that can change our lives and, and set us on a course that you can use us for your glory. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say. Amen. Amen. And so if you're taking notes, now's the time to do so. We read in verse 1 through 3 uh, that the Israelites, they were led away from Jerusalem and they were brought into captivity of a nation known as Babylon. And so in order to understand this book correctly, I have to spend some time answering four questions. Now I will say this. This is incredibly important for you to pay attention to. If you check out right now, sermons number two through, through six are not going to make a lot of sense. And so I urge you, pay attention. Four questions that I have to answer in order for us to understand what the book of Daniel is about. Number one, who are the Israelites? Number two, why were they in Jerusalem? Number three, why would God allow his people to be taken into exile, into Babylon? And then number four, what was it like to live in Babylon? Let's answer number one together. Who are the Israelites? And so in the beginning of the Bible, God chooses one man who we would come to know as Abraham. 
And God promises to bless Abraham by making his children or his descendants as numerous as what? The stars in the sky. And so if you live in a city where you're not able to see the stars, I want to encourage you, as you leave these doors tonight, do yourself a favor and look up at the sky. It's incredible. And be reminded of the promise that God made to this man named Abraham. This is what your descendants will look like. This is what, how many children that you will have. And again, this will not be by mere coincidence. This will be because I'm blessing you. And so God blesses Abraham with many descendants, with many children. And God is faithful, and, and Abraham, he begins to have these children, and eventually they come to live in this nation called Egypt. And it's in this place that Abraham's descendants, they continue to grow, and they are now named the Israelites, named after their father, Israel. And so these are the Israelites. In simple terms, they are people that God chose to, to magnify himself through, to make himself known through, to make himself famous through by blessing them, by protecting them, and most importantly, by inviting them into a relationship, a personal relationship with himself. These are the Israelites. Number two, how did they go from Egypt to Jerusalem? How did they get from Egypt to Jerusalem? How did they get in, to Jerusalem? Uh, and so as they are, the Israelites are in Egypt, uh, God continues to bless them and they continue to multiply. And those that are in charge in Egypt, are, are, they're, they're getting nervous, they're getting scared. They think that, that the, the sheer amount of people that the Israelite nation now contains is going to somehow overthrow the Egyptian nation. They're going to take control. And so what the Egyptians do to prevent this from happening is, is, is taking them and forcing them into slavery. The Bible talks about them uh, being forced to make brick without enough resource. And if they couldn't finish the job, they'd be punished. The Bible goes even further and says that these evil rulers in Egypt, again, they do not want the Israelites to multiply. They, 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 they announced this decree saying that any child born that was a male, that was an Israelite, should be killed. And so God sees this injustice. God looks down and says, not my people. And so he leads a man named Moses to take them out of slavery through a series of events. And now here's my shameless plug. I don't have enough time to go through every detail of this book. If one of the, the most important things that you take away from this week with me is like, hey, I need to get into my Bible more and read this thing, please do so. God, it's filled with so many amazing things and amazing stories that are true about how God used incredible people to do incredible things like you. And so God uses this man named Moses to lead these people out of slavery in Egypt. He takes them through parted waters, walks them through dry ground. Maybe you're familiar with the story. And eventually these people, they come to this place called the promised land. They were once slaves. Now they were free. And not only free, but they were blessed. The Bible says that this promised land would be flowing with milk and honey, meaning that it had unlimited, unlimited, unlimited resource of what they wanted, of the things that would bring them joy and pleasure and satisfaction. The Bible says that God says of this place that he would protect them there, that he would keep them there, that he would be with them there. The most important part of the promised land is that God would instruct them to build a temple. And it was in this temple that God chose to dwell physically, manifest tangibly. Why? Because God is a God that wants to be near to his people. 
I'll say it again. If that's a note that you want to write down and remember before you go to sleep tonight, God is a God that wants to be near to his people. And so he builds, the, the people build this temple to be close to God. And, and God says to these people, how do you remain in favor with me? How do you stay here in this promised land? Let's make it simple. Let's make it easy. Love me. Worship me. Obey me. Be faithful to me. Don't go after other nations and their gods and, and fall into their practices. You've seen what that's done to you before in Egypt. Stay with me. I love you. I've made an effort to be near. You know what the Israelites do? They disobey and they rebel. And they disobey and they rebel. And they disobey and they rebel. And you know what God does? He forgives and he forgives. And he gives grace and he is kind, and he is patient. This is how the people end up in Jerusalem, but this is the state that they find themselves in. And so number three, why would God, God allow his people, those that he loves and cherishes, why would he allow those people to be taken into captivity and to Babylon? If you have a Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25, it's a couple verses over, a couple pages over rather. To the left, in Jeremiah chapter 25, starting in verse 3. So before we start, in the Old Testament, God would send people called prophets to speak on his behalf. And we see in the book of Jeremiah that he was a prophet that God sent to the Israelites living in Jerusalem at this time. And this was the message that God wanted to communicate to his people, starting in verse 3 of chapter 25, Jeremiah still here in pages. I'll wait. I love it. I love it. Jeremiah 25, verse 3 is where we're starting. Yeah. Jeremiah says to the people of Israel, for 23 years, from the 30th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently. If you got a Bible and you write in it, circle that word. Persistently to you, but you have not listened. Circle that word as well. You have neither listened nor inclined your ear to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all of his servants, the prophets. He's saying that God has sent to you more than one person to encourage you to, to be faithful to him. Verse 5, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. He's saying, if you're just faithful, you won't, you won't bear a consequence. Verse 7, yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord. Let's jump down to verse 11 to see what will become of the people of Israel. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. And so the Israelites, they would be captured along with the precious items from the temple and led into exile, into Babylon. Last question that we're gonna answer tonight, number four. What was it like to live in Babylon? What was it like to live in Babylon? Has anybody in here ever been to New York? Anybody in, like, in New York, like you've been to New York? Anybody in here want to go to New York? Like some people are like, hey, that'd be great. Awesome. Um, okay, hands down. I... Um, 
I love Christmas. Christmas is my favorite holiday of all time. Uh, there's like absolutely no debate. Like I started singing Christmas, and this is not a joke. I started singing Christmas music uh, like four months ago. Like I'm prepared and ready. I'm the type of person where I'm drinking pumpkin spice lattes the moment they come out, and I'm gonna put Christmas music. I'm not, and my Christmas tree is up the day like right after Halloween. Anybody here with me? Like that's who you are. Perfect. I love you. You're my people. Hands down. Shh. And so one of my favorite Christmas like movies of all time, actually my favorite movie of all time is Elf. I love Elf. It is. It's incredible. Okay. If you're boys clap once. Let's try that again. If you can boys clap once. Perfect. My favorite Christmas movie of all time is Elf. Uh, I can literally quote it word for word throughout the entire thing. I've seen it so many times. But, but watching Elf and loving Christmas has brought me to a place where I, I love New York. And I've always wanted to go there. And a couple years ago, I got the opportunity to go and speak at a conference in New York. And I was super excited. Uh, incredible story. But I end, up being, I end up getting there. And I'm standing in the middle of Times Square. And as, has anybody been to Times Square before? Perfect. I'm standing in the middle of Times Square, and it's in this space that I look up at the sky, and I see enormous skyscrapers, and I see lights, and I see this massive crowd of people, and I see, like, really important people. And I'm like, man, they probably got some money on them. Like, I see really important people, and I smell the food, and I see the culture, and it's just incredible. Like, I even see scenes from Elf, like, like the places that took place in that movie uh, all throughout this space around me. And I, the best way that I can explain it is that I just felt small. I just felt small and I felt powerless being in a city that seemed so powerful. In some ways, this is what Babylon was like. Babylon at this time was the largest city in the world, the largest nation in the world. At its peak, people believe that there were up to 200,000 people that occupied its space. The walls towered at above 300,000, sorry, not 300,000, that'd be a lot, 300 feet tall and 85 feet thick. On top of that, Babylon had wealth that you could not imagine. There were gold statues, there were gardens, palaces, towers, there were beautiful works of art, unlike anything that, you, that people at that time had ever seen. They excelled in, in, in music and science and math and literature and astronomy and the things that you're going to study over the course of this week. They, they mastered it. They had an incredible military presence. They were powerful. And yet on that same stream of thought, they were incredibly evil. They were incredibly evil. They worshiped many gods. It's believed that they had up to 53 golden statues that were built for each of their gods. They even believed that their king was an earthly representative of the gods and they would punish brutally people that did not obey the faith that they instituted. And so if you came along and said, I don't believe what you believe, there would be serious consequences. Babylon was evil, Babylon was brutal, Babylon was powerful, and Babylon was tempting. How easy would it have been to set aside a life of faithfulness to the one true God if it meant that you could enjoy all of the splendors of Babylon and avoid all of the suffering? So the Israelites who once lived in security and peace with the tangible presence of God in the temple, they were now living in exile. They were forced out of their promised land and they were now foreigners in a place that worshipped progress, money, and other gods. 
And so with the context of Daniel set, for those of you that are paying attention, congratulations. I believe you're going to have a, a phenomenal couple days, we don't need to clap, but a phenomenal couple days understanding uh, what the book of Daniel is about. But with the context set, I want to make two points, two points. These are two points that I believe that you should write down, maybe talk about in your uh, camp time later, your small group later. Two points. The first one is this, knowing the context of Daniel. God was sovereign over the exile. That's number one. God was sovereign over the exile. I'll explain in a minute. Number two. The Christian is living in a form of exile. Our hope, sorry, our home is in heaven. The Christian is living in a form of exile. Our home is in heaven. Here's point number one. God was sovereign over the exile. What does that mean? What does God being sovereign mean? It means that he is, hear me, ultimately in control. The God that we worship, nothing surprises him. Nothing happens that he is not already aware of. He is not competing against anyone or anything to accomplish what he so chooses. The Bible says that he is not competing against the devil. He's not having this cosmic arm wrestling match with Satan. He is not competing against your agenda or how you want to leave. There's no such thing as simple, mere coincidences. God is in control. Psalm chapter 115 verse 3 if you want to write down a verse to look up later, Psalm chapter 115, verse 3 says this. Our God is in control. Sorry, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. Psalm chapter 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I love what that verse says. In the heavens. The verse is trying to make the point that God is not like us in the sense that he is not bound by the things that limit us. God is not bound by time, space, or matter. He is outside of time. He does all that he pleases. He is in control, and he is even in control in the exile. Look with me again at Jeremiah chapter 25. Let's go to verse 9. Just, just see if you can find these words with me if I read them. This is God, again, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, I will send I will bring, I will devote to destruction, I will banish. God is in control. There would be no accident that the Israelites were in exile. God was using this as a consequence for their unwillingness to devote their lives to him. And so believe it or not, this is great news. Because if God could lead them in, into exile, hear me, that means that he could protect them in exile that means that he could bless them in exile. That means that he could stir their faith in exile. And that means that he could build their courage and instill confidence into them into exile. So if we believe that God is all-knowing, and hear, hear me, like these are the things that we would all say yes and amen to in our Bible classes. These are things that we, if you go to church, this would be a, a thing where you would like raise your hand and say, yes, preacher, keep going. Like if we believe that God is all-knowing, he knows everything. If we believe that God is all-powerful, meaning that he can do everything that he wants, and if we believe that God is everywhere, meaning that he, he is in all places at all times, he's not running across the world trying to, to catch up on disaster. If we believe these things are true, then everything in life either happens by God's active hand or by his passive will. In other words, he either does it or he allows it. He either does it or he allows it. Now, that might be a hard pill to swallow. And even when it comes to important doctrines such as like free will, he is sovereign in that he allows us to have choice. 
God is in control. So maybe that just completely went over your head and hear me, that's totally okay and that's fine. And if that sounds confusing, that's great. Again, here's the main point that I want you to take away from it. I'll, I'll touch you in a second, one second. Here's the main point that I want you to take away from it. God is in control. This has been something that I've been struggling with lately, if I'm being completely honest with you, uh, because uh, my mom recently passed away uh, about five months ago. Uh, and if you are a person in this room or you've had a parent, uh, you've lost a parent, especially a mom, uh, you know the pain and the suffering, and it is so hard to communicate how that feels. Um, I have spent the past five months uh, suffering. Uh, I've spent moments in my bed, and maybe, maybe you feel me in this way. Maybe this has been you, where you, you've sat in your bed and you've stared at the darkness of your ceiling, and you've thought, God, why? God, where were you? God, why didn't you? And you know what happened? You know, you know what was great? Like the gift cards were phenomenal and the people that called were great and the food was awesome and the community that surrounded me was great. But you know what helped the most? You know what helped me get through the most painful time of my life? It was going to this book, what I believe to be God's word. And I would open this thing and anytime I felt like I was too nauseous that I couldn't eat or anytime I felt like I couldn't breathe, I would speak his words over me and I would say things like, uh, the word says that God will work out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And anytime I felt like I was depressed and I couldn't make it, I would say things like, God will work out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to, to his purpose. And anytime I wanted to give up on my faith and just run away from life, again, I would say things like, what the enemy intended for evil, God would use for good. What the enemy intended for evil, God would use for good. And it's in those moments, friends, that God strengthened me and God showed me that he cannot work out all things for good if he is not first and foremost in control of all things. Amen? Amen. And so what does that mean for you in your life? What does that mean for you in your life? You have, you have tension at home? Are they sick? Is it hard for you to go to school because you feel like people are pressuring you to live a life that you know you shouldn't? Is, 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 is suffering your normal? Please hear me. God is in control. This may be the most cliche thing that I say all week. If he led you to it, he can lead you through it. Can I promise that it'll get better? No. Can I promise that it'll be easier? No. Then how is it that God can use it for my good and his glory? Because the Christian's home, point number two, the Christian's home is in heaven, and I'm finishing with this. The Christian's home is in heaven. And so hear me, we are not living for life's momentary pleasures or reliefs from pain. Why does God choose to not intervene in some situations and not others? Why does he not stop the pain and suffering now? I can't answer that question because honestly, I don't know. But what I can know and what I do know is that eventually he will. Eventually he will. Please remember this because this has helped me a lot. Your best life, for those that have put their faith in Jesus, you have a relationship with God, your best life is your next life. And that does not mean that you cannot enjoy the life that God has given you now, but if you try to do that not in light of heaven, then it is all for nothing. So what is heaven like? And I'm done. Simply put, heaven is where the Christian will live with God forever. This is a literal place where his kingdom will be established. He will rule over his people. He will have a relationship with his people. And this is the best news that you can hear. 
evil, sickness, and death will be a thing no longer remembered. It will be gone. And we will once again see those that have gone before us in the faith. So when the world tries to tell you, like I'm sure was the temptation for the Israelites in Babylon, that you can find purpose, you can find wholeness, you can find joy, you can find like life's meaning in things like your relationships or in money or in success or in your reputation or in your grades or in your sport. Please remember that the Bible says that God has put eternity in your hearts, a hole so big that nothing can fill it but him. Friends, we are heaven bound. We are heaven bound. So as we begin this journey together this week, and you see me sweat a lot more up here. As we begin this journey this week, I want to ask you a question that I think will set the tone for what I'm trying to accomplish. Do you believe that you are heaven-bound? And if so, why? Three things. We are living in exile. God is sovereign, and our hope is in God. Amen? Amen. Hey, let me pray for you, and then we'll get out of here. Lord, we love you. God, thank you so much that you have, again, opened up this space for us to consider what is true about your word. God, we know that you are real. We know that you are good. And we also know that life is hard. And so we pray now that as we gather together to, to see if all of this is, is true, God, would you reveal to us that it is. Lord, deepen our faith, convict our hearts, help us to know you in a real way. We thank you for it already. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, somebody. Amen.